Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. We're going to talk about the DC Comics released on December 4th, 2019. And first up, we got to pour one out for, uh, I guess I'll collectively call it our favorite Rebirth book. Is that a fair assessment? Like overall, from the start of Rebirth to now, our favorite Rebirth book? Sure, yeah, overall. Yep. Yeah, overall, for sure. Yeah, and that is Deathstroke which uh, comes to an end this week with its 50th issue. Uh, it's an oversized issue. It is, of course, written by Christopher Priest. It was illustrated by Carlo Pagulayan and Fernando Pissarin. And um, Vince, let's start with you. What did you think of this Deathstroke finale? Oh, my gosh. I, I think it was almost perfect, you guys. Um. I think we'll get into it in more detail, but I think the last page was both perfect and kind of exactly what you would expect after watching like a decade or two of prestige TV Yep. these days. Like it was a total like Mad Men or Sopranos ending, right? <laughs> like um, slightly ambiguous, not really ambiguous, but like, leaving a door open while very much closing the overall story. Is that, is that a better way to say it? Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. Uh, yeah. yeah. But just, I, I think issue 50 and now was this, was this uh double sized or was it just a little no, bit? It, it was, it was double sized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had a lot of pages to work with, but man, think about how much he stuffed into this. he, he did the thing that he's always done so well over the course of this series, which is basically fold every idea that he's kind of been working with for over 50 issues now back into the into the current arc, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. every arc seemed to build upon the one that came before, even if it seemingly had nothing to do with it. And I, I want to say he brings back just about every element I would say the only the only arc I could remember that you don't really feel any of in this or or very much of is the defiant stuff. We never got another look back into like the power girl of Earth 2. I mean, she died, obviously, but like but she didn't die. She didn't die. Oh, what? What? Wait, what am I forgetting? She was like she, she was trapped. They thought she was oh. dead, but she wasn't. And that's my one critique of this issue, which we'll get to yes. in a while. Yes, okay. So that explains why. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, yes. I. It's all coming back to me now. But and that would be my critique too, because that was the one thing that never really got resolved. And not that, not that you always have to resolve everything and hold our hands, but that is so clearly a matzo ball hanging out there, as they would say on Seinfeld. Yeah, I'm I'm really surprised that did not get addressed, um, especially when like it was kind of revealed, you know, that this alternate um, Deathstroke, this alternate Slade was like from the dark multiverse. I thought like, like OK, this is it's all going to tie together somehow, um, but it didn't. And I'm a little I'm a little disappointed by that. I feel like that is a really glaring omission on Priest's part, I would really like to know his reason for not 
addressing that or coming back to that. See, um, I actually I will have an interview with Priest going up on Wednesday, but I had to submit my questions before I read the issue, or I would have absolutely asked that question. Yeah, man, that's a bummer. Um, yeah, I really, I, I am just like really wanting to know that. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure it will be litigated by someone else eventually. But um, or by Priest himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, otherwise, just like what a fantastic end to a fantastic run. Yeah, I mean, this was just a a masterclass in how to wrap up a series. I mean, what I love about this book is that even when Priest is doing the thing that is kind of expected for him to do, he manages to do something that completely throws it off its axis. Like, you know... A big part of this issue is Slade talking to the other Slade. And uh, and the guy basically saying, like, you had it all and threw it all away. And, you know, you need to cherish these people and all that. And you see Slade try and take that to heart. But he can't do that. He still, he, at the end, he still abandons them and fucks it up. Like, it's just, it's a very... Vince, I like the way you put it. That it's like, we've been trained for these kind of endings by prestige tv i think that's a very very good way to put it uh it's just a very uh it, it you can't call it unexpected for the reasons you said but man it's just so good i loved every single page in this book i just wish that he got to the the tanya spears spears right the, the power girl stuff i think that's right yeah it's certainly tanya um, I wish they got to that stuff. Yeah. Um, I really love the stuff between the two Slades. Um, I thought that was really well balanced, I, particularly them at the diner. Um, where like, just for a couple panels, you see the cracks in, in Slade's armor, but then, uh, but then, it, but then it's kind of like, comedically and narratively broken up by Isherwood dropping, like literally dropping in. <laughs> yep. What a great moment that was, you know, that again, what priest has done so well throughout this series is look like he's going one way. And then all of a sudden zagging and throwing a twist in or throwing an action beat in or, or, you know, a, tur a turn happens, and all of a sudden we're going somewhere else than maybe we thought we were going, you know? Yeah. And and that was the perfect way to drop Isherwood back into this and kind of resolve that plot line, too. Um, yeah, good stuff. What did you guys think of the stuff with Joseph in this issue? Uh, also also very strong. Like, it's it's kind of crazy how much this became well i mean it really was all the way through but like especially in this last arc how it became about joseph's arc too as the son of deathstroke um and i and i again another thing i i feel like we're a broken record but another thing priest does really well is play well with other stories 
he folds the dark multiverse stuff in the justice doom stuff just pretty expertly i think yeah he, he sort of does that better than anybody else does yeah for sure he would have been good on some of these uh infected books or any of these extra you know books that they've had other people writing these yeah. one shots and things good at literally anything <laughs> um, yeah. except giving interviews about well interacting with no one's perfect i guess nobody's um, perfect you're right he yeah i man i gotta give him a pat on the back here for uh having rose listening to my chemical romance while she's mourning the death of her of her husband fiance whatever they were uh i'm pretty positive that is helena that she's listening to ah i'm sure oh you 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 don't even care you hate me no i don't <laughs> i don't hate you i don't hate you hey i have helena, never heard hey. of a chemical romance song so yes you have you have trust Not me He's never heard of my chemical romance song. I've never heard of Van Halen song. <laughs> I, I, I am the only good boy who's heard all the music there is to hear. That's <laughs> well, true. We all know you've heard all the music there is to hear because, uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, hey, that Helena video slapped. I remember watching that. <laughs> That's the one with like the weird funeral, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. So uh, uh, before we, we wrap up our conversation about this book, I, I do want to ask you guys a couple of questions. Um, in terms of the sort of big DC arcs of the last 10 or 15 years, where does this rank for you among the, 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 big, the big guns? I mean, I think it's mm, – I think I like it maybe better than any run in the New 52. I don't think I'm forgetting anything in there. Um, I think it's certainly the best 50-issue run we've had. Yeah. There might have been arcs here so or there too. that have been better, but in terms of a a fifty issue thing, I can't imagine anything that, that worked out better than this. Mm-hmm. Since the new fifty two started, yeah, and even before that, I mean, like, yeah, arcs. I can think of arcs that were maybe better, but um. Just as a like entire run, I honestly don't know if I can think of anything that's like as impressive as this, other than like Morrison's Batman. Yeah, yeah which would, which say... would have been slightly earlier than ten years ago, if you can yeah. believe it. Well, um, I did say ten, well, fifteen years. So yeah, yeah. So that would be yeah. the last one. And if we're talking about just runs, like let's not even say fifty issues. If you're talking about what I personally hold up there. You know, it'd be things like the Steph Brown Batgirl book, the Morrison Batman stuff. Um, I I was a huge Dial H guy, mm -hmm. but but then like this is a you know, 
This is in that top five. I, I don't know where. I haven't thought too much. Maybe someday we should create parameters and talk about what our top whatever runs are from the last 10 years or whatever. Yeah, but, uh, I would love to do that. Maybe we should do that before the end of the year. Well, yeah. next week is our 200th episode. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. my gosh. So we're going to do a clip show that everybody hates. <laughs> exactly. and, yeah. and also we're going to do it live. Yeah. Which is another <laughs> podcast thing that everybody hates. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, I I think when when you're talking about runs that are, like you know, the, obviously the Morrison Bat Run when all's when all's taken in, that's got to be close to a hundred issues, right? I think uh, it's less than. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he quite made it to a hundred. I mean, he did. It's he definitely did, over fifty, though. Yeah, it, it, what I was gonna say is definitely longer than this. Um, but I think when you're when you're looking at the bat run, that was operating in a in a sense like it it was it was one of if not the most important things that DC was publishing at the time, and I think that 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 makes it both more and less remarkable in a way, because on one hand you have to be willing to I mean, you have to give a, a tip of the hat to a book that can be both a critical and commercial juggernaut like that, right? On the other hand, I think it's much easier to get people to invest in a Batman story than a Deathstroke story. And that to to do this at this level with a character that I don't think many people are clamp or many. How can I say this nicely? I just don't think there are a lot of people whose opinions I tend to share on comics who were looking <laughs> forward to a a Deathstroke series. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, know? I don't think I don't think any of us really were. No, I don't think so. Uh, and you know. Especially when you consider, I believe this is the third Deathstroke ongoing since the start of the New Fifty Two. Yeah, I think I believe you're right. there were two different New Fifty Two Deathstroke books, and then this one. And oh, uh, wow, just looking at how bad those other two books were, and then to see this, it's just—it's so impressive to take a character like. Slade Wilson, to tell a 50-issue story that doesn't reduce him into any sort of stereotype that changes. I mean, every arc of this book was vastly different than the arc before it, but it all hangs together. It all feels a piece. Goddamn, this is an accomplishment. Yeah. And and we have to give a shout-out to the art here as well. Um... You know, I one of the things that I think I know we've said a lot of times about this book is that it's very sort of um, traditional superhero art for a book that is not really scripted like a traditional superhero script. Um, and while I think that is certainly true, I, I would not go back on that statement. I think that as time has gone on, you've seen sort of the three or four main artists, you know, your Carlo Pagan Lions, your Fernando Passarins, 
your uh, Larry Hamas, all really work well together. And even though these these artists have very different styles in some ways, to see them all come together and to be cohesive in this way, I, I think is the best use of what is sometimes called house style. Mm-hmm. Uh, just there's a consistency to this book that is really lovely and doesn't feel like it is diminishing the talents. Like sometimes you feel like artists are drawing down to the book that they're on. You never got that impression with this book. Everyone seems to be giving it their all. And it's just, whether it's through the editorial, putting the right artists on this book or what, it's just such a nice thing to see. Yeah. The is- yeah. The issues this issue that had break- beautiful. Yeah. The issues that had breakdowns from Larry Hama. Uh-huh. Remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, it it's a feat. Like it's an accomplishment. Um and it's something that I still I think really went under the radar and I think I feel like it's something that we'll be recommending not just us but like people who liked it will be recommending it for years to come. It's going to be a I I think it's going to be something that has like legs in terms of people revisiting it i hope at least i mean it's relatively self-contained with just those couple of crossovers outside of those like two crossovers yeah yeah and so i think Um, that it'll be easy to pick up years from now and i think it will it will sit alongside things like like starman or like 52 or these these sort of these little these books that feel like little slices of what the DC universe felt like during that time. Like one of the benefits of reading Fifty Two is because of the cast, you get a really good sense of sort of the overall DC universe at that time. And while this isn't quite that for Rebirth, you get a lot of Teen Titans, you get some Batman, you get some Superman, you do get a, a pretty good tour through the DC universe within these pages. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, any other comments about this book? No, I'm I I'm sad it's over, but I'm I'm glad it happened. Yes. Uh <laughs> thank you, priest. Finish that Power Girl story sometime, please. We would we would appreciate that. Um up next is another final issue. And that is the finale to Collapser number six, the uh, one of the second wave of Young Animal books. A book I know we talked about the first issue of. I don't think we've talked about it since then, have we? No, we have I don't not. Think so. And uh, this is written by Mikey Way and Sean Simon and illustrated by Elias Krizite. God damn it. Cryazis. Elias Cryazis. I'm sorry, Elias. Um, or Ilias, perhaps. I'm just a mess over here. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I had reread this entire series in preparation for talking about this book today. And uh, I wanted to just toss out one Easter egg I missed in the first issue, which is that he goes to a bodega to pick up some cigarettes, and the clerk is reading Starman number one. Oh, so you love this then. That's... So my favorite book of the year. No, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, I reading this book in, in one sitting or, or so, 
I think, did it a little bit of a disservice because it just points out how much of this book is spent just with a ton of expository stuff happening. Mm -hmm. And this issue in particular has two long sequences of people just explaining things. And that really drags down the book. So you read through the entire thing to get ready for this. I have not read an issue since the first issue (laughs) and did not go back to read the series. I was just, you know, whatever. I'll read the last issue. And uh, it actually worked really well, I think, because the book went back and explained everything that I think you needed to know to be able to enjoy the ending. And I thought it was a lot of fun. (laughs) And I thought the character was cool. Um, Thought it was a little weird that he won by the power of music, but I can get down with that. Um, So I actually like enjoyed the book quite a bit on my reading experience. (laughs) I thought the art was really good. Um, Yeah, I I didn't love it or anything, but I, I thought it was pretty cool. And so I, I've been reading this monthly. So kind of, we all kind of had different experiences with the reading of this book, right? Yes. And I think, well, let me let me say the nice stuff up front. The art is fantastic. I I love this uh, Ilias Karaya uh, whatever. Um, it's not just a, me, a, folks. A, no, it's not. And I'm Polish, so like, I feel like this is on that wavelength, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but I thought the art was fantastic. In fact, I kind of think the art is the only reason to read this book. Um, Zach, having just read the last issue, first and last, I think is, is, is probably an approach that would make for a better, more enjoyable reading. Um, if you read the whole thing and if you've been reading it month to month, you really do see like what Brian said, how much exposition there is, but also, also the, how stock and standard everything about this book is aside from the art. I, I feel like I've read, you know, I, I've read plenty of image books, it, mini, mini series over the last 10 years, right? This is like absolutely any image or small-time creator-owned comic about a kid who, or a young young man who gets a superpower randomly that he doesn't understand, and then there's a secret history behind it, and then by the end he gets the confidence to harness the power and win the day and correct all the things in his life that he's let fall by the wayside because of these powers or whatever, or because he was a slacker to begin with and he needed the powers to help him become a a, a real boy or whatever, you know, it's absolutely like every other one of those books to a T to the point where it's kind of hilarious. Like the way that Zach said he wins with the power of music. Yeah. There's really no, there's really no real resolution to this story that makes any lick of sense. Um, I I feel like this book exists just to be like a superhero for somebody who really likes the Smiths, I guess. 
<laughs> um, That's a problematic fave in 2019. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but, but I mean, even the, down to the stuff where, like, oh, his long-lost dad comes back. It turns out he's the villain, you know, like... Uh, it's, it's all been done before, right? Yeah. Um, but I can thing... see, I can see how it'd be fun in small doses, like Zach said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, I was just going to say this book more than anything, like reading this made me think about like how interesting, like the young animal line has gotten as a whole and just how many cool characters there are out there. And I don't know if I would ever want this, although I will, I do think that like Milk Wars was really cool. I think it might be cool eventually if, you know, Gerard Way ever decided to dabble into some kind of like big crisis style crossover with all of the young animal uh, characters, you know, having like a big mashup of the first season characters and then like these newer ones like Collapser and, and, Joe Mullane and um, it, it's just like a it is a pretty cool little mini universe that they've built up uh, here so I don't know yeah, I just do I love, love to bash my toys together so I did want to say that one of the things I had forgotten about probably I probably talked about this in the episode we talked about the first issue but again that was so long ago who can remember um, this was co-written by Sean Simon, who either wrote or co-wrote that book Art Ops for Vertigo, like maybe four years ago, five years ago. You guys remember that book? Vaguely. It was about a guy who like went into paintings I, and stole paintings. I can remember the covers. That's uh, about it. Mike Allred was involved with it, yeah. I remember. Um, yeah. And how, like, one of the negative thoughts I had about this book was that this is the first young animal book that I think in a year I will have as little memory of as I do uh, art ops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good call. You know, it just it seems like for the other books, even the books that didn't necessarily resonate with me totally, I feel like... I, I I will recall bits of them. Like Mother Panic was never my favorite of the Young Animal books, right? But Mother Panic had a very unique concept and that costume design is still one of the best things that DC has done in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when you say Collapser to me in 2024, I have no idea what I'm going to remember from this book, if anything. And it's kind of a shame. Because I think that the idea is good. I think that the book had some good stuff in it. I just feel that this particular issue was... Uh, this particular issue and... and it's, just, it's one of those classic things where like this feels like it was six issues because it, there was a mandate somewhere that it had to be six issues. If this is a four-issue series, I think it would have been much, much better. This felt dragged out and uh, unnecessarily long. And because of that, there were lots of moments that you could clearly see the wheel spinning into Fillertown. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a break. 
And when we come back, we will talk about our final three books of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Klaus' Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow and iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with our discussion of Green Lantern Black Stars number two, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Zermanico. Zach, you have been telling us that you have lots to say about this book. So, preach, brother. Talk about it. Well, Am I being overly cynical and thinking that this is like a just full-on critique of current DC Comics? I want you to take that to its logical conclusion. Just get nutty oh, with it, man. Don't, I don't want don't stop. to. I'm, I'm, I'm so afraid to. I mean, Why? we... Because uh, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be mean. Um, so explicitly, we have a scene uh, where... Um, Batman is in Gotham City. There is an invasion by his Depressoverse doppel zombie. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, who is a bearded, smiling Batman who says, he, 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 ha, 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 ho, ho, ho. Um, <laughs> there's talk about infections. You know, we're, or we're, uh, the, the spoiler, the zombie, doppel zombie. Uh, spoiler says we're contagious now too. Um, the issue talks about let me let me find the exact line. I should have had it pulled up. Um, oh my gosh, I need to find it. Oh, this is okay. Here we go. Um, the Justice League wrapped up in interminable battles with ever more gargantuan, more primordial, and above all, more reliably anthropomorphic cosmic super non-entities. <laughs> Every month, it seems these hyper-creatures or their close relatives attack from some hitherto unsuspected, barely thought out region of this new depressoverse scientists have discovered. <laughs> Can I like, say, though, like, I don't think Grant himself is entirely... Uh, absolved of that either. <laughs> sometimes. Sure. Some, sometimes, yeah. Um, yes. It feels scathing. There's also a, a, a like off-handed remark about superhero mental health, I think, somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so he just Not... doesn't pull any punches in this issue. Oh, he's going after the CIA big time. <laughs> yeah, he is. What uh, what do you think is up with this? I mean, I I do think it's a commentary on that, but it just feels a little bit more bald face and vindictive <laughs> than it usually is. Maybe, but but I also think I also think Grant knows the score, right? Like 
he knows how comics work and they've really been like this throughout his entire career right yeah this this has always happened um and one thing i would say is if he was being honest about his he's praised the jeff johns run on green lantern before i think before he st- before he started writing this book i think he did an interview or before the first issue came out about how he didn't want to really mess with what Johns had done because Johns had the big epic run on this book, right? Well, John's stuff was subject to this very same criticism as well, right? I think, I think, yes, he is pointedly calling out specifically the things DC has done over the last few years, specifically with Snyder and King but I don't think it's necessarily mean spirited, you know, I think it's a critique. Um, but I think, I think Morrison also understands that comics will always be in this cycle where they're doing stories like that, you know? Um, may I give my spicy meatball of the week? Oh boy, yeah. If it wasn't for that commentary, this issue would be almost totally worthless. <laughs> well, I will say that the the entire thing about the uh, uh, army of vampires versus the controllers and all of that backstory was completely lost on me. Yep. But the but the two set the two sections that book ended that I really enjoyed. So, so I. Uh, I liked the vampire stuff, but only, I mean, it's, uh, I guess in this way, Vince, I was helping Grant Morrison masturbate by reading this because, uh, <laughs> he, um, <laughs> Ooh, that's cross platform joking right here. He, uh, he, um, very much like tied. So like, I guess we're supposed to think that these vampires are somehow like descendants of Mandrak, but also like vampires when they get old enough and big enough, they grow into sun eaters, which like Morrison is notorious for using sun eaters in his runs, like with uh, DC 1 million and all-star Superman. So like that's total, just like Morrison world building bait for me. I loved it. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. I just feel like one of the nice things about putting Morrison on a book like this is that you, you, or rather, a book like Green Lantern, is that with its like clearly defined season structure, you get the impression that hopefully they don't have to do too much filler because of that, and this series just seems like filler to me. I don't know if I'd go that far. I told you it was my spicy meatball of the week. Yeah, that is spicy. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I would call it filler so much as it just feels like a a short arc that I, I feel like it serves a purpose and I, I actually kinda like I I feel like it's I wouldn't go as far as to say that if it weren't for the superhero critiques it would not be there wouldn't be that much to it because I, I think like the vampire stuff is like 
nerdy and dumb and cool, but I think the stuff with um I think the stuff with Mew is kind of interesting and like that Be- Beelzebeth's machinations are pretty interesting. I think she is kind of a cool character. She is. Um, yeah. There's a lot going on with her. I, I think I'm not sure what Morrison is wanting us to think with like the stuff on earth with like Superman and Wonder Woman and, and Batman, like the Batman stuff feels just completely disconnected from everything. I don't, I don't really know why that's in there other than as a critique and because it's funny. (laughs) Um, But um, there's just so much going on here. And I, I liked this issue a lot. A lot more than the first one. I I think I did too, with the big chunk of it just being stuff I didn't care for. Um, but the one thing I will say is that, like, you definitely get your money's worth with this book in the same way that you do, like, all the Dawn of X books, I think. Like, one one thing about comic books is that Sometimes they don't feel like they're long enough. Sometimes they feel like they're too long when we're reading them. You know, this always feels just right. And it feels like a nice, satisfying read that you get your money's worth in. Lots of good art. Lots of bonkers ideas to read about. Um, yeah, I, I, I think... <laughs> I think it's I think it's one of the best values that DC puts out every month. No, not you guys don't agree. Uh, no, I'm thinking I'm thinking about that. <laughs> no, I agree. I think it I think it is. No, I um I mean I just yeah, I loved this issue. I think that this is the best issue of the book, period, and a few issues, you know, considering it part of the run in general, I, I think it's really good. I liked some of the names, the Mick Bain, Charlie Quinn, uh-huh. Par- Parliament of Pain, the Bat Manson family. <laughs> the Bat Manson family was the best line for me. Yeah. Uh, of the issue. Imagine if uh, Once Upon a Time in America was about taking on the <laughs> Bat Manson family. Oh, man. I'm in. It, it would be good. Also, um, I know we're not uh, talking about Batman universe explicitly in this issue, but uh, Green Lanterns show up in that as well. And that one of the prominent Earth Lanterns to be featured in that is Jessica. And she is featured as one of the Earth black stars here. So Mm. I feel like I feel like her she I feel like her place has been solidified. Baz, though, we'll never see him again. (laughs) I hope you're wrong about that. Um, they just need to give Baz something other than a gun to make him interesting. But we'll see. Um, all right. Well, let's let's jump over from uh, from Black Stars to Lois Lane number six. This is a standalone issue, an event Leviathan epilogue, maybe you'd call it. Uh, basically, this whole issue is dealing with the death of General Sam Lane, 
and it was written by Greg Rucka, illustrated by Mike Perkins. Vince, you wanted to talk about this book, so why don't you start us off? Yeah, well, first of all, it's a fairly standalone issue. Um, if our listeners haven't been listening or haven't been reading uh, Lois Lane all along, I think you can pretty much jump into this as long as you've been reading or at least aware of what happened in Event Leviathan. Because it is it is standalone for Lois Lane, but it's not standalone uh, because it does immediately follow the events of Event Leviathan number six, which namely being uh, Sam Lane has been killed. Um, and and basically what this issue is is it's like a funeral scene for Sam Lane and a retrospective on Lois's complicated relationship with him, right? Yeah. Um, and I I wanted to talk about this because it would be an easy issue for you guys to check out uh, if you haven't been reading all along. But also, I think it's, for the most part, pretty well done. Um, I think some of the art is a little bit wonky the way that this book kind of has been all along. Um, but... I think some of the stuff between Lois and her dad is really uh, truthful and feels authentic. And, you know, the, the funeral is mostly a silent comic booking affair. And I think that that works really well interstitially with the kind of flashbacks uh, to, to Lois and her dad in the past. And um, I, I just I just really think this is a sweet sort of issue that I think DC and Marvel both used to do a lot more issues like this, you know, a lot more uh, funeral type issues or or, you know, conversely, cele- celebration type issue, milestone type issues. Um, yeah, I just. I, I thought this was pretty effective at at being a touching story about a, a, a daughter and her dad who hardly ever saw eye to eye, you know, but she's nonetheless going to miss him. So mm-hmm. also there's uh, well, there's one moment where clearly John Hamm is a reference <laughs> in the in the drawings. Uh, let me see. Hang on. Page 14. Second, second to use a tired phrase, trust but verify, and there's a lot of verification still to be done. It's like a, it's kind of a younger version of Sam Lane, but it's absolutely Don Draper pitching a Lucky Strikes or something yeah. like that. He may as well be saying it's tough. It's so stupid. Just gonna say that exactly. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't disagree with anything you said really uh, about this issue. I, I still am not totally sold on mike perkins as no. is the artist for this book um <laughs> uh i i wrote down in my notes lumpy and inconsistent when it came to his art mm-hmm. and the inconsistent part is really what, what bugs me like there are certain artists like vince's favorite kelly jones where they're not going for sort of a a realistic take and surrealism is sort of baked in. And when that's the case, I can be a lot more forgiving with 
there being inconsistencies within the art, but this is his sixth issue on this series, and Lois looks totally different page to page. And a lot of characters, like, I, I really was struggling at point saying, wait a second, so at this funeral, Lois and Clark are there, there's somebody sitting next to them, is that supposed to be Jonathan? I think that's Jonathan, but I have no idea. And I still don't really know if that's Jonathan Kent at the end of the issue. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be, but I was also thinking, like, oh, who is Jonathan, like, leaning against and putting his arm around? Yeah, it, it, it's supposed to be and, his Aunt Lucy. Yeah, right, but you would maybe have no reason to know that. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess, what does Lucy Lane even look like, you know, well, I mean, really? We, as we established last week, no one even knows what Lois Lane looks like, let alone Lucy exactly. Um, um there's a there's a weird there's a panel where Lois is being presented with the flag and she like turns to Clark and makes this face that's like I don't want to eat my broccoli. <laughs> it's like I don't know what that is supposed to be. Um it's not like sadness. It what it's what, I I read it as like Clark, can you take it from here? I can't. Yeah, but, I did too. But it's a really weird <laughs> facial expression. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, she's going like, yeah. Like she's very embarrassed about something that's happening, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, I really have to pee. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, to to your point, Brian, if if Sam Lane is John Hamm in those couple panels, by the end of that scene, he's not John Hamm anymore. No, he's not. <laughs> um, and also. Baby John Kent has the largest head of any child in the world. Uh, and this is coming from somebody baby, who... Even Baby Yoda? Yes. Uh, oh, much bigger than Baby Yoda. God. Um, coming from somebody whose who's own son is uh, 35th percentile in height, 40th in weight, and 90, 99th in head size. So I, <laughs> I know from big heads. It's part of my family lore. Um, but, you know, J Baby John has like a bowling ball for a head when you look at this, these pages. <laughs> He looks, he looks like he's balding somehow as a yeah. baby. Um, it's just not good. And so while the art is, is impossibly inconsistent, I thought that the script had some nice moments in it. And I think that, you know, um, one of my favorite things that Rucka is able to do across his books is I think he's really great at taking characters that you're supposed to be rooting for and showing them as people with flaws still. And I think that like Lois making her father's death about not believing in Superman is a pretty shitty thing for a daughter to do, but it seems pretty in line with who Lois is like mm -hmm. there. And you know, not accepting the flag. Like, Lucy calls her out on that. Not accepting the flag thing. I think Lucy's right. Like this presents a very flawed Lois Lane in a, in a satisfactory way. I think this is a really good issue from a writing standpoint. I just wish I could look at it without groaning. Zach? I think that's well said, yeah. Yeah, Zach? yeah, I think that's fair. I, I thought it felt like it was a good issue, I think. It was a little slight um, in terms of content, I think. Which I didn't necessarily mind either. I'm glad it wasn't overwritten. Um, I yeah, I think overall I liked it. I liked it more as a 
uh, an epilogue to the Leviathan than anything else. I'm I'm glad that they use the book in this way to you know kind of wrap up Lois's threads from that from that event. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's good that this issue not only doesn't really rely on you knowing what happened in Lois Lane before, but it also doesn't it doesn't leave anything hanging that says you have to read the next issue of Lois Lane if you really don't want to, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you want just like a milestone in the life of the Kent slash Lanes, it's a standalone issue. It's as standalone an issue as there is, so... I could see this being included in whatever the the trade that has all the action comics tie-in issues of Event Leviathan. Like this could definitely be collected as part of Event Leviathan if they wanted to. I could maybe see that. Yeah, you could throw in like they could have an Event Leviathan companion that's like this, the Supergirl issues, the action issues yeah. and, and um I think there were there were a few other tie-in type things, yeah. um, and, and then at some point we'll actually get the full event Leviathan story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. When they rebrand this as uh, the Leviathan Crisis, we'll get all that stuff in there. So, Ow. all right. Well, that brings us to our final issue of the week, and that is the latest in the the infected series of one shots. And that is the, the easy to say infected Donna Troy Deathbringer series. Um, I really wish DC would have less clunky titles for these books, (laughs) but you know, it is what it is, I suppose. Um, So this was written by Zoe Quinn, illustrated by Brent peoples. And I think that in keeping with the infected tie-ins, there's, there's there's some good in this issue, but there's also some not so good in this issue. And I personally felt like, as a longtime Titans mark, especially like the some of the Titans that are, that are featuring in this issue, I liked Donna's struggles with leadership. I appreciated all that stuff. I just felt like this issue went on a little bit too long and felt felt a little bit too much onto the sort of tropes of the infected until the very end. We'll talk about the very end in a little while. Uh, you guys tell me what you thought about this issue first. Zach, why don't you start? I wanted to like this a lot. I really like this Titans team. It didn't have Kyle, which was a bummer. Where's, yes. where's Kyle? Um, but I, I just could not get into this. I thought that the like, the plot was a little not incomprehensible, but just kind of, um, very hard to follow with these two conflicting sides in this superhero town that I felt like I was supposed to be familiar with, but was not. And then so much of the issues dialogue is happening um, telepathically through Miss Morrison. Mm-hmm. But there's like a few pages in particular where there are just thought bubbles that aren't connected to anyone. And you're, you have to keep track of who is talking by which side of the argument is being argued. And it's, it's just not, not easy to follow at all. 
Yeah, I'm I'm gonna echo exactly that. I think I like I like the idea behind this issue in concept, and I ended up not caring for it very much in execution. Um, for those very reasons, I think it started off pretty strong. I think I think this is strong characterization for everybody involved. I just think that at a at a certain point they get to the infected part and what started out as a unique idea for a one shot just becomes another one of those infected story. Oh, look, I'm evil type things, you know? Um, I did like, well, Brian said we were going to talk about the ending later, but, um, but yeah, it's just, boy, it started off with such a solid idea and just evolved into the same thing as everything else. Is I feel like, I feel like so many of these tie-ins, you know, in DC and Marvel event history tend to just have only the slightest bit of importance to, to reading the story. I feel like if you didn't read any of these infected ones, you wouldn't notice a thing in the main event. Uh, Nothing would change for you, you know? Um, And so I think like it presents an interesting story, but then it, 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 it kind of runs into the same swamp as everything else. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I was getting to before is I feel like the stuff about the Titans team was very effective Mm-hmm. Or, or at least presented something different than what we're used to seeing as of late. Yeah. And then as soon as it got into the infected stuff, it was like, oh, this shit again. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. And 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 would you agree? The the characterizations are pretty good in the in the beginning. Like this feels like this feels like this Titans team. It's oh, it's not. Yeah, it's not just some generic. You know. So what I, I guess what I'm saying is like Zoe Quinn's not coming in and just doing a complete hack job. It's just that it falls apart under the weight of everything else that it's got to, that it has to do by the end of its run. Right. Well, that, that, that's one of the big problems I have with this, with this series of one shots and this event in general is that it feels like you're instantly tying the hands of the creators because you have to fit in whatever the sort of bullshit stuff they want to make sure is represented in every one of these issues is like, you know, you have to get to the scene where, where people think they're turning the person and then it turns out psych they're not. There has to, <laughs> there, there has to be the yeah. scene where, um, where they're like, you know, they're talking some sense into them. They're not going to really, destroy this town that they happen to be in and then they destroy the town anyway. Just There's so many formulaic pieces to it that it makes it really, really hard to do anything unique beyond a certain very... Beyond the first ten pages, it's very hard to make these books unique. Mm-hmm. And that's a real problem. But let's talk about the end for a second. So Vince, what happens at the end of this book? Well, no, you do it. No, you do it. <laughs> no, you do it. 
It, are we flirting right now? What's happening here? <laughs> do I have to do it? No, don't. <laughs> don't just spring this on me. No, so anyway, so so I was just I was trying to give someone else a chance to talk. So, um, you know, nothing happens. I there, I did it. No. So, Raven basically says that. Well, most sorry, Deathbringer says I'm done with this. It's beneath me. Your ghost of someone else has passed. And Raven says, don't rewrite our stories. Whoever you are, whatever, whoever you became, you're a part of them and a part of us. You're still that person. You're still my friend. Don't deny it. I saw you in there. Even if you can't, whether, whatever you're going through, we'll get through it. Just tell me what to do. And Donna says, then fight for me. And that's a pretty ambiguous ending for this type of a story. And that's precisely why I liked it. Because I think if you if you read it in one way, it's the infected Donna saying, well, it's the quote real Donna peering through the infected haze and admitting that there's something to be fought for, that her humanity, her life, whatever, can be fought for and can be won. If you take it a different way, you can take it as um, like the only thing that you're good for is to fight and die. And so go fight and die and whatever I, I i think there's a lot of interesting you can read a lot into that final scene and it's it's way more nuanced and ambiguous than we've seen in one of these one shots thus far yeah i i agree although it does recall like when i read this i thought of the blue beetle one the scarab one where at the end he says something to he narrates something to the effect of I I'm inside the scarab. I can see myself doing these heinous acts and I can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so, so when I saw this, that almost, that almost made me think, well, that's the Donna. That is the good Donna peering out somehow, you know, is how I read that. But what you say is really interesting. I think, I think that makes it even better. I don't know. I, I just liked that it wasn't so so cut and dry. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think more comics should do stuff like that, you know, have have semi-ambiguous endings. And not in, like, the super dickery, like, Silver Age comic cover way, you know? <laughs> right, right. No, I, I don't know... If you don't want to do, if you don't want to do interesting stuff, then why are you doing these books? Mm-hmm. Right. If you're trying to do something unique and interesting, then let it be unique and interesting. And uh, so much of this book was not that, and so yeah. much of yeah. these books are not that. And if it is a lot of editorial mandating kind of getting in the way, then then at least there are moments in this book where something interesting shines through. But I don't know. I, I think you're always going to feel that editorial hand, and that's that's not always a good thing. No, I, I think it's, it's interesting to compare this to what we just talked about with Deathstroke where we felt like editorially they were able to keep the book feeling consistent. And I, I think that one of the main jobs of an editor is to make sure the right people are on books and that the books feel, you know, more or less 
of the same cloth month to month, obviously allowing for uh, for for uniqueness and all that. But there has to be a certain tone that is carried through. And I feel like when you look at a book like Deathstroke that does that over the course of 50 issues is pretty impressive. What's less impressive is when you get issues like this where they can't even keep up the consistency for 25 pages. Yeah. And yep. if editorial is poking its head in, it's poking its head in in all the wrong ways. Yeah. Anything else to add? Nope. No, not really. I guess this is the last one of these that we have. Uh, is it? Have we really read all? There were six, right? No, because the Supergirl issue was self-contained. Oh. I yeah. don't believe we're getting a Gordon issue, right? Because that was probably... Batman Who Laughs, maybe they considered it that. Yeah, Hawkman is in his own series. Um, mm, that's right. Yeah. Maybe I this think, was it. Yeah, I think this was the... We had Shazam, Deathbringer, Blue Beetle. Yeah. Wow, uh, son of a bitch. So nothing. Now we just got the stuff in Batman, Superman, and then the Year of the Villain... Hell arisen. Ha. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which is going to be what? Six issues? Six issues too many. <laughs> uh, it remains to be seen if it's six issues too many or five issues too many. So I'm, I'm waiting to leave the verdict out for that for now. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's look forward to what's happening next week. Vince, you have the list up? <laughs> the future conan yes um, yes i have uh batman and the outsiders okay. batman curse of the batman curse of the white knight congratulations to sean murphy who's apparently beginning the third volume of that book oh really of his... yeah did you see that i did not i or... saw you tweet about it so yeah well you saw me on farmers only talking about it I'm um, uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, Batman, Batman's grave. Um, Dark Knight returns the golden child, which is your only way to see Raphael grandpa art for a while. So good luck with that. Have either uh, of you ever seen I'm, the Eddie I'm Murphy classic, uh, the golden child? <laughs> I'm Gumby. Damn it. <laughs> Not what I was talking about, but okay. No, I, I, <laughs> Zach, what did you say? Oh, I said I'm excited about it. I I really may try to read all of the Dark Knight books before next week. We'll see. We'll see if I, I do it. I don't think we should. I mean, I read like 50 issues of comics a night anyway, so I feel like I could rip that off. The entire Dark Knight saga or just Dark Knight 3? The whole thing, baby. The whole thing. I could I could probably go pretty quickly through Dark Knight Returns since I've read it like five times. But... Strikes again, I am not well versed in. Same me either. Um, yeah. Uh, tech is coming out too. Dollhouse Family number two. Uh, Doom Patrol Way to the World six. Far Sector two. I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Flash 84, Gotham City Monsters 4, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy 4, Harley Quinn Year of the Villain. Now, is that the one? Help me out here. Is that the one where there's like a vote for the yes. best best and worst villains or something like that? So. I believe this is a more satirical take on the Year <laughs> of the Villain. That might be fun. We might need to... That might be fun. Um, Hawkman. House of Whispers, Justice League Odyssey, Ocean Master, Year of the Villain. Holy shit, this is a lot of books. Um, yes, it is. Supergirl 37, Superman 18, uh, the Tales from the Dark Multiverse Judas Contract. Oh, Brian, I expect I expect you to be the scholar on that one. I, I will do uh, my best. Uh, Titans Burning Rage, Wonder Twins 10. That's it. Wonder Twins 10. That's a lot of books. I that By the way... If you would, if you had said to me, Brian, I will take the note on your house and I will pay it off. If you can tell me what two Year of the Villain books come out next week, I could have <laughs> never no. told you Ocean Master for all the money in the world. <laughs> I had no clue that fucking book. I, I and I write about the solicits every month. I had no idea that book was happening. Yeah, who's on that book? Oh, let, let me take a look. Hang on, Hang on I'm looking Hang that up on. too. No, I'm, I'm, I got it right here. If it will only load for me, this stupid... Okay. Uh, oh, Dan Waters oh. is writing that, and it looks like uh, Miguel Mendonca on art with a tasteful Francesco Matina cover. Uh, that's not a bad lineup. It's no, just, it's not. It's just weird. Yeah, it's not. it's not that, you know... Shit. A good comic writer can write a a good story about anyone, right? Sure. But, sure. but, you know, it's just funny to see the words ocean master. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's your real villains month flashbacks, right? <laughs> it, oh, it kind of does. It really kind of does. What, what did we do wrong to bring about a year of the villain after villains month? Are, are the 2020s going to be the decade of the villain now? Don't give them any ideas. Hey, that's a great idea, Brian. <laughs> I think we're going to do this. Why stop in a decade? <laughs> um, guys, you know what we have after that, then? Doomsday clock number 12, baby. Like, Oh, yeah. The bit, like the biggest week in DC Comics. The big week. The yeah. Big... Oh, yeah. Episode, episode 201 is the big week. I have a feeling... We're going to be hitting up each other's DMs all week on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see about that. Anyway, if you want to hit up our DMs, uh, Zach, what are you on Twitter? I am at Wilker Fox. I am at Brian Needs Nap. If you're going to get in touch with Vince, we all know Vince is not on Twitter. He makes a big deal of this all the time. Um, But you Clearly, Zach doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well. Uh, if you need Vince, I'm talking you... about the fake Vince account that I started and tweet from every <laughs> once in a while. Vince's trick. Vince's trick. <laughs> Vince's trick. Um, if you need Vince, you can find him at your local supermarket haggling down the price of pork liver. That's a that's a reference <laughs> that we talked about off the air, but uh, still makes me laugh. Uh, oh my! So anyway, enjoy your books this week, guys. We'll be back next week for episode 200. 
Which will be pretty much the same as every other week. Why, why were you Don Pardell for a second there? Musical guest. <laughs> uh, who would be, be our musical guest for episode 200? Who would it be? The Indigo Girls. <laughs> why are they the Indigo Girls? The Indigo Lanterns. There we go. Knock, knock. <laughs> Ah, that's a double joke. That's like a double joke right there. It is. It is. All right. I'm just saying, as usual, I'm somewhere in the middle between (laughs) watching TV shows the second they come out and never watching them at all.